title of tonight's message is Love Within the Church. Love Within the Church. And we're going to talk just a, a little bit tonight about what that means and what Paul means uh, for us to understand here in uh, these verses, in verses 3 through 8. But before we dive in, let me pray uh, for our time. Father, we do thank you for the opportunity to come tonight to gather and to open up your word. I do pray that you would be our vision, Lord, that your spirit would illuminate the eyes of our hearts, that we would see and behold Christ Jesus through your text. And I pray that in faith we would now listen and learn we would, in humility, come ready to soak up what you would have for us tonight. So I pray, God, that you would blow your spirit upon this place and that you would use it to stir us along in Christ-like transformation, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Robert, could you take me back a little bit? <clears throat> Thanks. Uh, so we're continuing this study and and I want to encourage you to think um, as we transition now into some application uh, coming out of chapter 11 uh, in our study, really primarily on five through eight, that all of those realities, all of that union with Christ uh, is still in the background. It, it's, it's, these applications can come out of those things um, and only really we can apply them rightly when we think about our union with him. And that's really what Chase uh, talked about last week, that transformation. If we want to be people like Jesus, if, if we really want to be transformed into Jesus, then we have to, one, surrender everything. We have to be all in like the widow who gave the penny, and that was all that she had. And also, we have to be transformed in the renewal of our mind, uh, not being conformed to this world around us. But what does this Christ-like transformation look like necessarily in the context of the building of the church, the local bodies that are gathered? What does this Christ-like uh, transformation look like in relationship to the family of the church? And how can we think clearly and live in right relationship with those that are inside the church? That's, that's really the questions we're going to look at uh, tonight together. So let's look at, at verse 1. We're going to just read verse 1 and 2 for the sake of context. So you can look with me there. Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. He says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable and perfect. And then where we will spend our time together tonight, verse 3, he says, For by grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in his generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. So if you just read that text and give kind of a summary statement or, or maybe the big idea of a thesis statement uh, that what Paul would be saying, it would be something like this, that God has graciously given gifts and abilities to each member of the body of Christ to serve one another sacrificially. And what we're going to do tonight is just to walk through this passage uh, by examining three points that I want to put forth to you. Uh, and then we're going to close out our time looking at a bit of application uh, coming out of those three points. So if you think about what Paul says, he, he first says not to think too highly of ourselves, uh, but to think with sober judgment. And if you think about that, it kind of gives a sense of esteem, a sense of how you should view yourself. 
Paul says not to view yourself in one way, but to think rather in a different light. And in our culture, we see a lot of focus today on how you view yourself. Uh, We can often see how we view ourselves affects the way we live. Uh, Maybe the way we want to look affects the way we live, and and we don't look like that. Maybe we're not as tall as we want to be. Maybe we're a little wider than we would like to be. There's different things. Maybe we dress a little differently or whatever. But there's these things that affect the way we view ourselves, and we can say that's a type of esteem. And oftentimes, uh, culture puts us down, and we have a lot of a low self-esteem. And uh, we often see in our culture uh, that the answer to that low self-esteem is to think highly of yourself, which Paul speaks against very plainly. He, we can see that our culture says we should actually not center things around others, uh, but we should live for ourselves. We should be the center of attention. We should be the one seeking the glory and the fame. And we, we, we see this kind of self-centeredness. We see this egocentric type of living, uh, which really Paul says and explains doesn't end well. We see that really is a Romans 1 type of living. It's an anti-God type of living that leads to all type of wickedness, sin, and debauchery, as Paul says in Romans chapter 1. But if we as Christians, uh, we can recognize that in the world, but we can also recognize that that happens within ourselves. Even as Christians, we struggle with the way we view ourselves, maybe even in outward appearance, but maybe more deeply in the root of our hearts. We, we know that we don't live up to the hype uh, sometimes. And uh, uh, that culture certainly doesn't help us out. But what we can look into in the gospel with the lens of the gospel, we can then see ourselves rightly as people who are diverse, but people who are united in the same body of Christ. So with that in mind, let's just look at our first point. And we're going to look at verse 3 and a little bit of verse 6. Uh, And the first point is this, that God has graciously given gifts to all members. Say all members. All members. He has given gifts to all members of Christ's body. This means that no one has been forgotten. So that's a good word for some of you tonight, that no one has been forgotten. We see this uh, in Paul uh, in in the first few uh, words. He says, for by grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, And then we see also in verse 6, he says, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. So just look at that phrase really quick, grace given. One, Paul is saying from personal experience, the grace that has been given to me, I am now saying this to all of you. And then also he's saying the grace given to all of us, let us use our gifts. And I just want to point out two things about this phrase, because Paul is really recounting back to something that he touched on a few verses earlier in verse 1. He says, by the mercies of God. And those phrases translate all of 2, 1 through 11. And so he's coming out of 1 through 11, and he's saying, by the mercies of God, by everything that I've just talked to you, this is where we can approach. We're not, no one's slighted, right? No one got a smaller piece of the pie, right? We have been united and have been given the greatest gift of Christ, And the gifts now that we have been given on top of that are uniquely wired to each and every individual so that we can collectively grow together as a body. And we can see that these are grace gifts. These are grace gifts given from who? From God. So that's the first thing I want you to know is that these are gifts that are given from God himself. And secondly, I want to see that that is an expression of God's generosity. It's an expression of God's goodness and his kindness to us. And that out of his goodness, out of his all-wise plan, out of his sovereignty, he wants to lavish upon us good things, right? He has already lavished upon us the spirit. He's already lavished upon us forgiveness. He's already lavished upon us. Uh, Paul, uh, Peter says we've been born again to a living hope. Right? It's being kept in heaven for us. It is imperishable. It's undefiled. It's, it's not fading. So those, those are everything that we already have. And on top of that, he's uniquely given us these specific grace gifts. So if you think about it for uh, the sake of an illustration, perhaps you can think about it as a kid's birthday party. 
Uh, kids' birthday parties, a lot of times, maybe you growing up, you can relate to this, that uh, you're excited, you know, kids are coming to your house, or maybe you have it at a park, or maybe you had a pool party. I know I had a couple of those growing up. But what I was most excited about, it wasn't that I could have my friends come and join me. It wasn't that we could have the birthday cake. It wasn't any of that. It was the gifts. It was the gifts, right? And I was excited. I always hated, totally side note, I always hated the parties that you went to. And the parents were like, oh, give the gifts. We're going to open those later. I'm like, that's terrible. That's the worst type of party. But I, I expected, you know, my party. And I expected the gifts. And I was really excited about those things. My friends would always give good gifts. My parents would always give me good gifts. But what you see in the, in the illustration here is that who gets to decide the gift? Is it the little kid at the birthday party? No. It's all those who are coming and attending the party. And that, that, that's, it's in the same sense, it's kind of what God gives to us. Uh, we don't get to decide those things, but rather God out of his goodness, out of God's love and the expression of that love... In the same way the friends are coming and giving a gift out of an expression for the love for this kid, they are giving a gift. And, and this is what we see here in God's goodness and his generosity here. And, and Paul, practically, he wants to take uh, this concept, this principle that Chase talked about of transformation, and he wants to bring it forth in a concept uh, uh, by discussing the proper way in which we go about thinking about ourselves. And uh, we see here in chapter, and rather in verse 3, he says, I say to everyone among you, so that's good. He's not just speaking to some of us. He's saying to everyone that is among him, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. And by implication here, also don't think of yourself too lowly either. We want to think rather with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. And, And that measure of faith is a little debated, but one thing that it absolutely certainly means is the measure of faith in terms of our union uh, with Christ. It is the measure of faith that we all have assigned in faith in Christ. Um, but I want to look at that, that, that concept of sober judgment. So Paul is calling us here not to think too highly of ourselves, not to think as the world would call you to think. Don't think of yourself with this big airhead. You know, you think of those commercials with the airhead. We're not coming around to coming in the church with a big airhead mentality, right? No, we're coming in with sober judgment. And that, that word sober is interesting word choice by Paul. Actually, we see it used uh, elsewhere in Ephesians. Paul used a similar word to describe being drunk. Uh, he says you should not be drunk on uh, these things for it is debauchery, right? But rather, he says, be filled with the Spirit. And, and what we see here is Paul is saying we are people who have a tendency to be drunk on ourselves. What we have a proneness to do is to come into the church and be filled up with ourselves. We have, a, we have a tendency to come into the gathering seeking to be served rather than having a mentality of serving, right? We have, a, we have a posture of coming into the gathering and wanting to consume rather than wanting to give. And Paul is saying, no, 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 no. We, we are thinking wrongly, church, and I want you to think with sobriety. We want you to think rightly because if we take the illustration out further, which I think Paul is trying to get us to think here, is that what do drunk people do? Well, one thing is they don't see clearly themselves. They don't see clearly other people. There's often a disillusion, Right. There's maybe some haze, there's some fogginess, there's stumbling, right? That, that's the type of living that Paul is saying not to do. That, that is the type of worldly living. We want to think rightly, and we want to do so with humility. And that's really what Paul is calling us to do. He's calling us to live with sober judgment, to think rightly. And we, we can't think rightly, we can't be content, we can't be... Uh, enjoying the gifts God's given us. We can't show gratitude for God and for others around us when we're obsessed with I, when we're obsessed with me, when we're focused on ourselves. So what Paul is saying is, brother and sister, you are in Christ. 
You have a measure of faith that God has assigned to you that is uniting you to the very Son of God. And if that is true, you should come into here with the same posture of service that Jesus embodied on when he came in the flesh. And what that service was, was a service of humility. We see Paul see this uh, very clearly in uh, Philippians chapter 2. And humility uh, can really be explained in this phrase. It's not to think less of yourself, but to think of yourself less. It's this posture of I am second. And what that does, it creates a humble confidence in God. Humility in that these are grace gifts. They're from God. They're gifts. I didn't deserve them. I didn't earn them. They're an expression of love. And then we also should have a confidence because where did the gifts come from? They came from God. He has uniquely wired us to serve. He's uniquely wired us to teach. He's uniquely wired us to give and contribute generously. So if that is the case, we're not to do so with a half-hearted mentality. God has uniquely wired you and designed you to do this, so you should give your all. And you should do it well. And you should do it with excellency. This is what embodies the humble confidence. It's humility, but there's a confidence to it. And this kind of rids ourselves from this spirit of entitlement. It helps us to remember that these are gifts. And it also helps us to remember that these are gifts from the best gift giver. Do you know a good gift giver? Do you know that person that when it's your birthday or when you're sharing Christmas with your family, you're like, yeah, I I know mom's going to give me that one. Yeah, she always gives me the good gifts, right? You know that person in your life, you could probably recall them to mind. You could also probably recall someone to mind that probably always gets you like the white socks or gets you something else that's not so great. You're like, oh, thank you. And you kind of just re-gift it. But what we're seeing here is these are gifts from the best gift giver. Jesus himself is giving us the gifts that are beyond what we can even think. And you think about this. Think about the Lord for a second. Think about the history of his kindness and his steadfast love and his mercy. We see the psalmist express this as they're recounting his works and saving Israel uh, from the hand of the Egyptian king Pharaoh. We see David who is being persecuted, who's being chased after friends and family members. We see all of these people recounting, look at the Lord, mighty is he, worthy is he, praise the name of the Lord, praise him, praise him. And they're recounting the works of the God because they understand and they know that he is the one who is the greatest gift giver. And as I said, if we think rightly, if we can think with the posture of sobriety, we then can be freed up from a spirit of entitlement. We can be freed up from a spirit of discontentment that often works itself out in ingratitude and complaining. And we can see then the father as a good father. We can see the Father who has bestowed gifts upon us. He has lavished gifts upon us in Christ, both in past and present and future and forever blessings. It rids us of the bent, this pharisaical spirit that we're often prone to. It often exposes us of the false false humility that we often like to mask. It rids us from arrogance and boasting, which are deadly problems that often arise in the local church body. In fact, those types of uh, problems can be cancerous to the growth of the body. If you think about what cancer does to a physical body, it oftentimes hinders the ability for growth. In the same way, arrogance and boasting and even this false sense of humility or God has somehow forgotten me that also attention grabbing uh, hinders the body from doing what it has been called to do to be built up in love in Christ and in false humility is oftentimes of people who like to say uh, well I don't have any good good gifts or God has forgotten me or Maybe they say something that I don't have gifts that God would would use. And or maybe it's not the flashy gift. Maybe it's not the gift that everyone can see and appreciate and be thankful for. But but we're, we're thinking with 
a wrong sense of ourselves. We're being intoxicated with that type of language. Remember, we have to remember the gospel. We have to remember Romans 5 through 8. Sinclair Ferguson summarizes as well. He says, we tend to think that Romans 1 through 11 is embedded in our hearts and in our minds. As if we no longer need to be taught by any of these truths. Certainly we're not have any value of being reminded of them. Paul wants us to see that the gospel touches on every aspect of our lives. No stern, no stone goes unturned. And that's, that's really what we see in, in going into 12 through 16. Is Paul spent a lot of time explaining the gospel in great depth and great beauty in Romans 1 through 11. And he's saying, hey, warning, those who listen and, and live a life of the world and live intoxicated on themselves, they live like Romans 1. But if you want to live like Romans 12 through 16, you have to remember Romans 2 through Romans 11. And by those realities that are yours, dear Christian, in Christ, then we can apply rightly a renewal of mind and transformation in spirit. We also see that God gives to all generously, but not in the same way. Not in the same way. Paul says that there is differing gifts, but we remember that we all have the greatest gift of Christ. So with that in mind, uh, we will now move to the second point, which is we are all of the same body, one body, Paul says, but we not all have the same function. We don't all have the same role, nor do we all have the same responsibility in our giftings and capacities. We see this here in verse four through five. So let's read that. It says, for as in one body, we have many members and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. Okay, so we see very plainly and very clearly that Paul is saying there's different gifts in the body, yet we all serve in one body. He gives this illustration in 1 Corinthians 12 and also in Ephesians 4, this illustration of body. So if you look at my body, you look at your own bodies, there's one body unit, Yet there's many parts, my hands, my eyes, my ears, my lips, my feet. There's different parts of the body that are very necessary and very important to work very hard. But there's different uh, responsibilities. For example, my toenail is going to serve a different function than my heart or my brain or my lungs. There's different uh, responsibilities that the toe cannot serve. And and God has given a measure of faith to evaluate uh, the type of giftings we have. Keller says that this measure of faith that we can evaluate ourselves is is the gospel. And we can have confidence because amidst these differences and these diversities, we can have confidence that we still serve under the same body. It's kind of like uh, a team mentality. Now, if you like sports, it's kind of like what you would see in uh, basketball. Or something like that. There's a championship. There's a goal that you're trying to achieve. And you need all different parts of the team. But I often talk about sports. So we're not going to use sports analogy for this. So think of it uh, like um, a music. Like an orchestra. And a symphony. Now we see in other parts of the Bible. Paul says that there's under the body. There is one head. And the head of the body is Christ. And he is over the body. So he's kind of like the conductor of the orchestra. But if we look in the orchestra, there's different parts. There's uh, the violinist, there's the trombones, there's the cymbals, and there's other parts. And in order for that to work together and work properly for the end result of a nice harmony and a symphony of beautiful music, each part has to play their part very well in accord with the other parts. Or... We're going to see a middle school band, and it's not going to sound very pleasant. We're going to see the violinist start to do a little solo over here, and then the guy with the cymbal starts to just rattle off whatever he wants to do, like he's playing in a rock concert. And then it's going to sound all, all crazy, and we're, we're thinking, well, wait, that doesn't sound like a beautiful harmony and a mending together. 
And that's what happens when we don't have the sober mindset. It's almost as if Paul is saying, if you don't want to be part of the team, then maybe you should go consider picking up golf and be an individual sports player. But that's not what he's saying here. What he's saying is there is no other option. We are one body. We're one team. And as such, we need to play our part well and responsibly with a humble confidence. We also see this explained. uh, You know, it's very humbling, but very true that if God is going to reach the people in Dover, Delaware, he is not going to only do it through New City Church. His, we are one, in the same sense that we are one part of the body here, we as one church unit here at New City are one part of the greater body in the C, bigger C church, excuse me, the global C church. And as such, we can then function properly with a south side. We can function properly with a grace church. We can function properly with a united church. We can function properly with other denominational lives. We can function properly then working with humble confidence in that same way. Dustin Benj says that oneness or unity or this one body mentality is uh, the defining characteristic of the church. It is the one thing that makes it distinctly different than other things in the world. It's this unity that we have because of Christ that separates us from uh, the unique people who are playing basketball or the unique uh, people who are playing chess or other people. They have a unique common ground through playing said hobby or enjoying a painting or whatever, but they don't have – those are temporary things. The thing that helps us come together is an eternal truth of Jesus, the God-man himself. And this oneness – or this wholesome unity depicts the heart of the Father and the Son. Once, once we recognize this and once we embrace this, this is really when God can start to move in his spirit. This is really when we can see the love of Christ being displayed in the gospel around us. Lest we forget what Jesus said in John 13, 35. Lest we forget that there's another way by which we're going to display the love of Christ around us. Jesus says, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples. What is this? What, what will they know? How will they know? If you have love for one another. The way in which we will display God's love to the world is the way we love one another inside the church. Paul wants us to embrace our diversity. He wants us to see that the differing gifts that God has uniquely given to us show us in a dependency for one another in the body. So the people that you think are annoying, the people that you want to only say hi to on a Sunday morning, the people that you would be the last person to choose to be in your growth group, you need that person. And they need you. Every single part of the body is needed to work properly. And until every person on the team understands that and embraces their role, whether they're the star player or whether they're the person coming off the bench, every person needs to understand and own their responsibility and do it with a humble confidence and do it with excellence if God's going to really work. He says a little phrase in verse 5, That we are very clearly members of one another in Christ. But he also says we're individually members one of another. Okay. So he's not saying that we're just members because we're in Christ. He's also saying you don't belong to yourself. He's saying you belong to one another. You belong to Fran, Herb. That sounds kind of weird. I thought I belonged to Christ. Yes, you do. But through that union with Christ, you belong to Fran. So you should count Fran more significant than you do yourself. You should treat Fran like you would yourself. So how would you treat yourself? That same mentality that you would treat yourself with love and care and protection and make sure if you have wounds that you would tie it up and you'd fix it, go treat Fran like that before you treat your own self. That is the type of team mentality. That's the type of unity that we see. Unless we forget that Jesus told us that we have been bought with the price, the price of a very son of God, He is the price that has been been paid for us. Let us not forget these realities that are ours in Christ. We have to love within our church. We have to do it well with the gifts God has given to us. So we've seen that God has given each of us gifts. 
He's also given a diversity of gifts. But what are we to do with the gifts? Are we to keep them to ourselves? Are we like the kid at the birthday party who receives an abundance of gifts and just keeps and enjoys? Or should we share? Should we help others with these gifts? I think Paul would have a strong objection to the little kid that says, I would just like to enjoy by myself. So let's turn with that to our final point, which is we are now to called to use our gifts sacrificially to serve one another as Jesus has sacrificially served us. We can see this in verse three. It's coming out of a sobriety. We do this. And then verses six through eight. So we see Paul says, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. And then he goes into a list of gifts. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Paul calls us to love within the church as we serve one another. And the way in which we do this is a posture of sobriety that embodies the heart of our Savior Jesus. There is no passage in the Bible, in my opinion, that summarizes this better than what Mark does in Mark chapter, five, uh, Mark chapter 10 and verse 45, where he says, Jesus He said himself, didn't come to be served, but to serve and give his life for a ransom for many. That is the type of heart that we are to come into this gathering to express the love that has been expressed in Jesus. Now, note note with me that we can only love each other when we have that sober judgment. We cannot love well. We can love. There can, be, there can be some surface level love. right? There could be some, an appearance of love. There can be a pharisaical type of love that the outside people see and say, oh, they do love each other. But there can also be a love that actually doesn't embody the heart of Christ. And it's what Jesus and what James says is dead faith. It's the type of faith that demons have. So that, that, should, that should perk our ears and, and help us to be alert. That there's, there is a faith, there is a religious uh, an appearance of godliness that does not save. So we're, we're trying to go away from that. And we're trying to embrace the heart of Christ. I want you to notice with me verse 6. Paul says, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. This phrase, let us use them. We have gifts that were intended to be used, right? And we're coming with a good judgment. So we're not coming in a posture of complaining. We're not coming in a posture of finger pointing or envying. We're coming in a heart now of gratitude. We're having going into a heart of seeking to serve one another. And in fact, God gave us these gifts so that we could build one another up in Christ. So that we would mature in our faith. So that we would grow to the fullness and the stature of Christ. And if we are to grow the way God intends, one of the primary means in which he calls us to grow is through serving one another inside the church with our gifts. So uh, let's look briefly at these gifts that Paul talks about. He, He gives a list here, not a catalog. This is in the J.C. Penny catalog where he's given everything and you're picking and choosing, right? Those things were fat back in the day. I remember I getting them around Christmas time. But this isn't what Paul says. He gives just a general list. Uh, it would be kind of like a common example. And he gives another list in 1 Corinthians 12 and Ephesians 4. Um, and as we, as we read these and as we read them earlier, you, you maybe thought maybe some of these relate to you. Or maybe you can envision yourself with some of these. Or maybe you thought... I have no idea what these are. or These don't relate to me at all. Uh, I, I hope that as we walk through this in a little bit more detail, that would kind of ease your, your burden and, and, and allow it to be kind of taking a breath and be like, okay, now I can probably see myself doing some of these or maybe I actually have some of these gifts and talents. So let's, let's look at this. The first one's probably thinking, well, I definitely don't have that gift. He says prophecy 
in proportion to uh, my faith. What in the world does that mean? I thought the prophets were done. And that would be good theology. The prophets have been done. And, and it's not prophecy in what we maybe would think uh, first in terms of the prophets and what they did in terms of giving revelation and giving truth to God's word. We, we know that uh, good Christians would see that that has ended with Christ and that time is no longer here. But one of the things that the prophets did do and which this, this word prophecy means is a bold declaration. It, we would see the prophets would have a message, and what they would do is they would embody this message, oftentimes very visually, but very boldly, and they would say, Thus says the Lord, blah, 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 blah. Thus says the Lord, Israel, blah, 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 blah. And we would see them declaring a message. So that's what we see here in, in prophecy. It could be translated to what we would think today, what a, what a pastor would do in preaching. So that's what we see here in prophecy. Secondly, we see service. Now, this service has a twofold meaning. It could mean a diaconal ministry, which what a deacon would de- do, serving in that specific role within the body. But more broadly, Paul says it in the term of deacon ministry, which is actually just serving one another. It's, it's the common word that we see in the Bible of just doing what is kind, doing what is generous, and taking care of one another and meeting a need. We also see teaching. And again, our mind might draw to a, a person who is in the pastoral uh, ministry. Um, but that's not what Paul is saying here. He, he wants us to think a little more broadly about that. And if you think in the life of the local church, there's a lot of forms of teaching. Uh, James warns not all of us should be teachers. We'll be judged with a greater strictness. But he, there's, there's a distinction between preaching and teaching. And what we see, if you think about that real quick, preaching is what I'm doing now. I'm speaking to you and you're not dialoguing back to me. Teaching is where we're like on a one-on-one level or a different context where we can ask questions, we can interact. It can be on a one-on-one level, it can be in a growth group, it can be in a different setting like a small group. Those are forms of teaching. So you can think more of kind of a facilitator role, someone who does lead, someone who knows and handles the word of truth, but they do so in different capacities. In a local church, we can see this serving in kids' ministry. We can see this serving in a, in a growth group, in small groups. And we talk about small groups. There is an element of teaching to that. So that would be what would be uh, in, involved in the terms of teaching. Next, we have exhortation or the one who exhorts. This word means counsel. So this would be uh, like you sharing a burden with another brother or sister, and you would give them a word of encouragement. You would encourage them with the scripture. You would pray with them. You would listen to them. That is what it means by the one who urges. You would remind them, hey, brother, remember you are who are you in Christ? Remember that he has died for you. You, That would be what an urging. That would be an exhortation. Uh, So that would be that gift. Next, we see contribution. This would be a word that would just be someone who gives. Someone who is generous. This certainly means wealthy. This would mean someone who is wealthy and has money to give. They should do so generously. It's not just a 10%. It's like, I want to give abundantly. So that's what we see here is someone who is contributing, giving to the needs. Next, we see the one who leads. Uh, So this leadership role is someone who would embody the type of person that people would want to follow. This is the type of person who is humble and is noble, who is trustworthy, who is dignified, who has integrity, who does what they say. This is someone who wants to willingly help others and not to receive a thank you. This is the type of person who does this with zeal, with passion. It's very clear. The first person who's like, yeah, I'll do that. And they do so uh, with a great humility. So that's what we see with the leadership. And finally, we see the acts of mercy. Uh, So this could ultimately mean uh, what the deacons do, though it's not just for the deacons, what we call mercy ministry. It basically means uh, those helping people who are unable to help themselves. So oftentimes we think of this as someone who is physically sick, someone who has an inability to take care of themselves. Maybe it's an older person who just fell and broke their hip, or maybe it's just someone uh, who is vulnerable or maybe who's someone who often is overlooked or neglect in the community of, of the church. So that's what would mean uh, for an act of mercy. It's giving someone uh, 
what they, uh, that no one else would really give them. It's, it's a merciful act. And, and, and just kind of think of that with someone who maybe is more vulnerable. Uh, and maybe it's like thinking coming out of COVID time, the older, older person who is more susceptible to COVID. And you're going over there. Maybe you're dropping them off a meal. Maybe you're uh, just speaking with them on their porch and just trying to encourage them and having a, a little bit of conversation. Something like that. Uh, so, so I hope that that is helpful uh, to kind of look at those things and kind of think a little more practically of what do these gifts mean and how do they really work themselves out. So we can see there's a diversity here of giftings. Uh, and also, Paul's, Paul actually... Uh, wants us to see as well that sometimes God supernaturally gives you a gift uh, for certain circumstances and seasons that the body needs. For example, there is a pastor that I know that there is a need in his church to have someone lead the worship on Sunday morning. And to this gentleman's knowledge, he had no ability or talent to do that in any way. But they were praying about this need in the church. And all of a sudden, the Lord blessed him with an opportunity. And he, it, it was literally like the Lord just gave him a talent to play the guitar. And he could just play it. And he can lead and he can do it well. And he did it for as long, I think he did it for multiple years. He set up on Sunday mornings, he led the church. And then the church didn't have that need any longer. And it was almost as like he forgot how to play the guitar. He couldn't play this string from that string. He didn't know how to do it. It was like, whoa, what is going on? Sometimes God supernaturally provides a gift and ability uh, to someone. But more commonly, we see the capacity of gifting change in different seasons and circumstances. Sometimes you have a gift for your whole life, and sometimes you're in a different season. Maybe you're going to school right now, and you can't serve in a certain capacity that you would like to. Or maybe there's someone who's in a season of retirement, or is a stay-at-home person, or, or doesn't have a job for a season. You're out of, out of work for a month, and you're very freed up with your time for a month. So you have, a, you have a window of opportunity to now serve in a certain season with a capacity that you didn't have. But Paul really wants to see this principle of serving and using the gifts God has given you. So it takes us to think, what are our gifts and how then can we, we use them well? So now let's just turn our time as we seek to close how we can apply this. A little more tangibly to our lives. We can, we can apply it with our hands and how we physically do things. We can apply them certainly in our minds and the way we think. And we certainly can also apply them in our hearts and the deeper levels in which we do this. So first we can do this in our head and in our heart. And what Timothy Keller calls the freedom of self-forgetfulness. This is the type of language, another way of saying what Paul said in, in verse 3. We can... We can apply this text by thinking rightly about ourselves, by thinking with humility, by thinking with sober judgment. And and we can do so as we seek to embody the heart of our Savior, Jesus. Remember Mark 10, 45. I would even encourage you just to write that passage down. Maybe make that your life verse. That's how I want to live. I'm going to serve each other. I'm going to serve people like Jesus served me. Secondly, we can do so physically with our hands and faith. And we can do so by learning to love others sacrificially as you serve them. You know, we think that we can learn something oftentimes by reading a book. Certainly there's some truth to that. We certainly think we can do this and have a change of mind. But oftentimes we learn the best by actually doing this on-the-job training, right? And this is what Paul is saying in verse 6, that we have gifts, so let us use them. We may not know what they are. But is there an opportunity in front of you to serve? Do it. Maybe you do it well. Maybe you don't. But you're going to gain experience that will help you discern. This is what the body is for. They will be gracious and they will be honoring to the Lord to help you uh, truly see a a mark of spiritual maturity and and seeking to grow deeper uh, in in the Lord. This person is the person who knows who they are in Christ. They're not threatened by other people's gifts. They may be unsure about their own, but they're certainly not threatened by other people. They're content because their eyes are on Christ and they're focused upon him. That, that frees them up to serve one another. They're not caught up in themselves, certainly not when it's inconvenience to them, but they're, they have a posture of humility. And uh, 
if you really want to grow and you feel like you're not growing deeper in Christ, I would encourage you maybe to consider, are you serving? And how are you serving if you are? And maybe that is, 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 a, is a window of opportunity that you can grow uh, more into what James would say is a saving faith, a faith that actually works itself out in, in love. So thirdly, we can apply this in, in our thinking, in our heads, uh, and by recognizing the need for the community. We can make the resolve in our minds that we cannot be people that love Jesus and not the church. That is so anti-gospel and anti-Bible, I just want to throw up right now. It's, it's just not true. I mean, Paul, Paul wrote letters, and we see these letters written to churches. So the person who says that, you should just love really well and be patient with them and encourage them to be plugged into a church. I mean, it, we really need to grow in, in this because the world really wants us to say, hey, guys, you can do it by yourself. Satan wants you to be isolated. He wants you to think that you can actually do it on your own. He gets you to buy into the lie that you can do it apart from Jesus and apart from the people of God. Here, here's, here's the fact. To be apart from Jesus in the flesh, he's not in the flesh. He's not longer walking in the flesh anymore. He's walking in a lot of flesh. Because the Spirit of God is inside each and every one of his sons and daughters. So when you come to the gathered saints, you're coming in the sense to the flesh of Christ. The body of Christ. So you want to experience his presence. You feel forsaken by the Lord. Go to the church. You feel by yourself and you're wandering. Go to the church. You feel like you can't overcome your sin. Go to the church. It's a continual plea and an urging for us to embrace the body around you. And then it will give you a sense of belonging. Then it will give you a posture of being able to be discerned what your gifts are with grace. But how do you do this practically? Well, Paul gives us a couple of things to say. And Timothy Keller uh, summarizes these things well. He says, one, you can do this. How can you discern what your gifts are? First, you can do it through self-examination. Think rightly about yourself, self-judgment. But more than that, think about yourself. What are you talented with? What are you passionate about? What are you good at? What has God given you to do well? Maybe consider where you work. You know, is that a career? Is it things you do? Are there different things even within your work that you do? You count well? Or what, what do you do? And do you, what do you love to do? You can do this with self-examination. Secondly, he says that you do this through experience. It's kind of trial and error. You try something out. You try to lead with the, t- the kids' ministry. You find out that you don't really like kids. You don't like a crying baby. You don't like changing a diaper. You, it's not helpful. Maybe you're really just not good at it. And that's okay. Maybe you think you're a really good singer. And you go up there. And your, your mic's always on mute. It's a reason. You can't sing. And it's okay. It's okay. God hasn't given you the gift to sing. But praise the Lord, he's given us other brothers and sisters who can and that are meant to build us up in song. And, and there's just other ways we can see and experience what our gifts are by actually trying things out. We have to try things out. Thirdly, we can do so by looking at the list God has given us. Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, and Ephesians 4. Go look at those lists. Study them. Read them. Reflect on them. Ask the Lord. Which one of these is me? Which, maybe there's multiple ones. There definitely is multiple ones that you do. And then fourth and finally, you have to use the gift. You got to use it. If you're given the gift of prophecy, if you're given the gift of teaching, if you're given the gift of contribution, you got to use the gift. Because you're one of the means God has given to a unique body to be built up. So if that body's going to work well, then you have to use your gift. You have to do it. You have to do the acts of mercy. You can't be on the sidelines. And as such, we can have the question that often arises. We see a need, we see a need, not a need. We see a need, and we meet the need. But we have that question arises in our hearts. Are we able to meet it? Maybe we are. But the other question that usually is the difference maker is are we willing Are we willing to meet it? And in Christ, God is urging us to to be more willing.
And as you do this, I would encourage you that in faith, God in due time would make abundantly clear what your gifts are and make abundantly clear what your gifts aren't. And that's a beautiful thing. And what God will do is as he parted the Red Sea, he'll make the dry land clear and he will make your gifts clear. And then what you should do is walk into the dry land as he has given you those gifts that you would be uniquely wired to do to build up one another around you. And fourth and finally, we can apply this in our hearts. We can apply this in our hearts by being cheerful Christians. No one likes a complaining Christian, right? No one likes a complaining Christian. And I want to ask, are you a cheerful Christian or are you a complaining one? I want you to think about that. I want you to consider that. I want you to consider that honestly. And how you do that is you do so in two ways. You ask yourself. And secondly, you ask a couple people that are close around you. And you heed what they say. If they say you have the tendency to be a complainer, you should heed that. And you should stop complaining and be more cheerful. And if you're cheerful, you should keep being cheerful and not complain. (laughs) Right? But I want to ask you, if those were the only two adjectives that people could use to describe you, Which one would they choose? Are you a complaining Christian or are you a cheerful Christian? And let that be a means to encourage you in the Lord. Let us be cheerful. Let us be joyful for all that Christ has given to us. And as as we just kind of close our time, most of you are probably thinking in the room, what kind of tendency do you have? What kind of more posture of your heart are you prone to? Do you have a spirit of envy and jealousy of other people and their gifts? Perhaps you have a spirit of pride or or boastfulness or maybe anger. Maybe you just have a spirit of unsure. You're just not sure. You're not sure what your gifts are or what they are. Or maybe you feel perhaps left out, like somehow God's forgotten you. But let me assure you that God hasn't forgotten you. That this word that Paul has tonight is encouraging for us because we have these tendencies and some of them overlap. But Paul wants us to have a humble confidence in the Lord. He wants us to trust him and his goodness with the gifts he's chosen to bless us with so that we can work properly as one body, as one family unit in the Lord. He wants us to be united in Christ through our diversity. So let us rejoice in the diversity. Let us take heart in the gifts and let us grow together in gratitude for what he has given to us. And let us use our gifts to learn how to love one another well.